Today on College Nation, we rewind back to Ole Miss's win over Alabama. Plus, we discuss whether the NCAA should implement a cap on foreign athletes occupying roster spots. All that and more, let's get into it. (laughs) Discussing the biggest topics in the world of college sports, this is College Nation. Welcome to the third edition of College Nation here on SEN. Chris Tyler and Lockie Miller with you. We've got a whole lot to discuss, Lockie, as we said before the introduction there. We're going to be chatting about uh, not only all misses win over Alabama, but there's a couple of games that we wanted to touch on over the weekend. There's always a whole bunch to talk about when you've got, uh, when you're dealing with an entire weekend of college football. Along with that, we are going to touch on uh, all the stuff about uh, the international uh, recruiting caps and all that sort of stuff. That's going to be a big issue of the week. And then we've got a couple of winners and losers for everyone as well. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a big show as it always is. And just to state, there isn't actually any international caps. We're just discussing whether or not maybe they should employ them with the infiltration of internationals uh, from uh, countries like such as ourselves, uh, Chris, uh, uh, occupying so many spots now. Whether or not for the betterment of the of the U.S. pathway system for uh, Americans, whether or not maybe we should just put a limit on the, how many internationals get a, get a crack. Before we start off with that, though, I wanted to touch on the AP poll from the weekend. Ohio State still uh, the number one in the AP poll. Not unanimous anymore. I think they had about uh, seven uh, voters drop off. Michigan State moves into the number two position. It's the first time uh, since 2006 that the Big Ten has occupied the top two spots in the AP Top 25 poll, which is pretty big news for them. And that last time they did it was actually when uh, Michigan uh, was number two and they were going into the annual rivalry game as uh, as one and two. So, um, you know, uh, out with Michigan, in with Michigan State. Uh, great to see uh, the Spahns up there last on last week's show. I think uh, I, I said that uh, my, my winner was D'Antonio. Uh, the fact that he's taken that program, um, you know, from, uh, from where, you know, um, middle of the row, road six years ago and just uh, constantly um, been improving year on year. So uh, a bit of a stud. Now we'll see if these guys make either of our uh, winners of the week. Ole Miss's win over Alabama, unbelievable over the weekend. Now they're up to number three in the country uh, after being number 15 before the weekend. The Crimson Tide dropped from number two to number 12. The Rebels have received 11 first place votes. TCU is tied for third with Ole Miss and Baylor is number five. So it's Really up for grabs. Now, that win against Alabama was phenomenal. They kind of blew them out, or it looked like they were going to blow them out uh, halfway through the fourth quarter. Um, and then Alabama kind of scored two or three late TDs, and it looked like it was going to be an upset, or a come-from-behind win, I should say, rather than an upset. But uh, thankfully for uh, Ole Miss fans, they hung on and, and got the, uh, the, the, the win. Well, the thing with Ole Miss was last year, even uh, around this time, I think it was week three or maybe it was week two, they were actually this high up in the rankings anyway. Um, and and I, I suppose I posed at the time whether or not they could hold on, but they had a couple of um, yeah very lacklustre performances and, and dropped away. But uh, I think this is on the back of um, a really... A really good, I suppose, uh, five-year period of um, strong recruiting classes. I think a couple of years ago they they basically had you know um, the best player from each positional um, spot uh, as part of their recruiting class. So um, you know, I'll miss a, a building, and you know, it it wouldn't be. Uh, unrealistic to see them um, stick this high for the rest of the season. I feel like Jake Coker has now cemented his spot, even though they lost, 
as the starting QB for Alabama. He didn't start the game. Cooper Bateman started the game, went 11 for 14, 87 yards, a 6.2 average. But it was Jake Coker who kind of led him back into the game, had a couple of beautiful rushes as well. He kind of ran for, I think, three first downs at one stage when it was really up for grabs, and he kind of at least gave them a chance to win the game towards the end there. Speaking of starting quarterbacks that got benched and replaced, how about Cardale Jones? Yeah. And the fact that JT Barrett came on, there was a bit of a bit of controversy. I'm not sure if this was something that uh, I'm getting the impression that maybe it was a bit of sour grapes from Cardale Jones. The fact that um, after the game, he changed his Twitter bio to say that he was the Ohio State third string quarterback. And then he said, oh, no, wait, I'm the second string. And then it disappeared 30 minutes later. I would imagine maybe someone from the uh, Ohio State uh, Athletics Department just tapped him on the shoulder. Um, but uh, so that was, you know, it didn't take long for Cardale Jones to potentially uh, lose the starting quarterback spot at uh, Ohio State. But uh, in week three, too, uh, don't forget, we actually saw a couple studs, stud performances from some quarterbacks, namely Kevin Hogan at Stanford, um, uh, you know, uh, p- um, stood in the pocket and picked apart um, USC, just uh, absolutely methodical. Uh, and then uh, who's the other one that I want to mention um, off the top? Um, While you think of that, I was impressed with Deshaun Kaiser, who stepped in uh, place of the injured Malik Zaire from Notre Dame, who got injured last week, did his ankle out for the season. Deshaun Kaiser never started a game before. It was his first start against Georgia Tech over the weekend. They got the win 30-22 through 21 of 30, uh, 242 yards, one TD, one interception, had a terrific performance there. He, Him and Will Fuller, who's their wide receiver, have a tremendous kinship, I think, because in the game where he had to come in for uh, Malik Zaire at the end of last week's performance, he hit um, Will Fuller for, I think, like a, a, a 40 or 50-yard TD towards the end to get the win, had another one to Will Fuller over the weekend. So those two are really working perfectly together. So I'm really liking uh, Deshaun Kaiser's performance at the moment. Uh, the other one I wanted to mention briefly was uh, George's uh, Grayson Lambert actually set a new record now with uh, um, NCAA completion rate 24 of 25. Um, you know, so what would that be? 90... 90, 90, 94%? No, wait, is it 92%? Don't even ask me about that. Yeah, 92% completion. It's pretty simple, actually, because it's 25 attempts. It's not simple. It's never simple with math. Multiply it by four. Okay, so that's 100, so then 24 by four. Yep, all right. Uh, Yep, 92. Uh, Wait, that's not right. 96. Come on, Lucky. Basic maths. But anyway, so those are um, stud, some studs of the week. But uh, obviously, uh, yeah, another another good week. And obviously the AP poll um, has uh, seen some um, some people rise up. Some people uh, had some stocks drop. Some teams, yeah. So uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's another interesting week in the uh, volatile world of college football. And before we move on, we should mention LSU Tigers getting the win over Auburn. 13th ranked LSU Tigers at the time. Auburn ranked 18. LSU over the top, 45 to 21. Off the back of Leonard Fournette's uh, beast mode. Leonard Fournette. I haven't watched this game this weekend, but I watched their first two games, I think, or first one game at least, and he is just a beast. I think uh, he's got to be up for uh, Heisman. Oh, absolutely. I think on the weekend, 228 yards, uh, three touchdowns, broke the, uh, I think, broke the rushing record there for, um, for LSU for a single game. So, yeah, fantastic stuff. Next up, the agenda. Now, what we wanted to do today is uh, discuss whether there should be an inter- or a cap on the amount of international scholarships allowed per each college team. Lucky, you brought this one up. So why, why do you want to touch on this today? This has been, I think, an issue that's been simmering uh, under the surface for a few years now. And it sort of read its head through a couple of sports primarily. Uh, the, the, the main one that uh, I suppose 
you hear the most rumblings out of is tennis, uh, and tennis is obviously a global sport in the in the same um, in the scheme of things, and because of that, uh, you know, there's a decision that needs to be made when you're 18 years old, whether or not you turn pro or you go to college. And I think increasingly more people are thinking of hedging their bets and getting something out of their tennis performance and going to college as opposed to turning pro because they believe now that, that you can go to college and then turn pro. That you're not you're not really sacrificing yourself if you spend four years in the system. So now because obviously with um, team sports like basketball or football, the professional leagues dictate that you have to spend a certain amount of time at college first. So it's not really a debate on what you're supposed to do unless you wanted to go and play in Europe as a professional before you go to the NBA. But with individual sports like tennis or even golf or swimming or any sports like this where it's you're playing for yourself. It is a bit of a question as to what would be the best for you. Ooh, maybe maybe that's another topic or in in um in general that we maybe have to touch on another time. That's a really good point. Is that uh, you know with the with the increase in internationals going to uh, the NCAA, the NCAA in itself is like you know this 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 massive development pathway. It's kind of like the biggest uh, sports league in the world in in many ways. So um, yeah, getting back to the tennis part was that while well, there's so many good um, tennis players in the world now that. A lot of the top tier teams, especially, uh, have have uh, more internationals on their roster than they do have Americans. And the the, the whole premise of the NCAA system um, uh, being implemented in the first place was it was a development pathway for the Americans to um, you know um, funnel talent through, get developed in the hopes of maybe yeah reaching pro level or being part of an Olympics. And so it's almost as if that's being uh, compromised or thrown out the window a little bit in the individual university's pursuit of winning championships. Because if you win championships, you get dollars, whether it just be through. Um, being a more desirable university to go to, so you get more students apply, or you know, um, uh, do- donor bases or sponsorships or whatever it may be, and boosters, boosters, and things like that. It all helps with you know raising the profile and get generating more dollars at the core of it. And so the question has to be asked: Well, you know, uh, does um, uh, should Americans feel aggrieved that maybe some of these not just roster spots but scholarships? Uh, should be there should be a bit more of a cap on uh, on it for internationals. So at the core of it, the American uh, interest is looked after. Yeah, well, it's kind of an interesting situation because you compare something like tennis, where it doesn't really get a whole bunch of publicity throughout the country or or internationally. Well, it gets in the country, it's just not international. Does it? So it actually does get. You reckon it does? There, there is a lot of interest in. In collegiate tennis and collegiate golf and all that sort of stuff in the states. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But obviously not to the point of of college basketball, college football, which is without a doubt the top two oh. most popular sports in the states. These two sports, it's so cutthroat. You see in the amount of dollars that are going around, it is an, a must win situation essentially. If if you go come in as a coach to a big time program and you have one or two terrible seasons, chances are they're going to boot you out because it's a win now or a win at all cost type situation. The boosters aren't going to be happy with you. The, the president's not going to be happy with you, all this sort of stuff. It's an interesting kind of concept in that if you're limiting the amount of talent that you can bring into your team because of these caps, I don't know if these colleges would be particularly happy because they are they have this mindset. It's a mandate to win. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and for me, I mean, I look at it and I go, 
you know, coaches want to win, so you need the best talent. The best talent isn't just Americans. And, uh, and you know, I was over at the NCAA Rowing Champs uh, a few months ago in Sacramento. And in the A final, uh, which is six boats, um, six eights worth of, uh, of girls, uh, you know, Ohio State, which won, they had, I think they had maybe two Americans in their entire boat. There was there were three Australians, go Australia. Uh, there was a Kiwi, there was a South African, uh, and um, I forget, maybe it was a Canadian or something like that. Um, so, you know, th- there's this diversity. And um, throughout, Chris and I being Australians, you know, we're, we may be a little bit biased, but there was a, uh, at least, probably I think, at least one Australian in every boat in the A final. And, and, it's, and rowing being, you know, uh, a, a relatively diverse sport in terms of countries around the world they're starting to uh, infiltrate uh, the NCAA women's rowing competition uh, in itself USC's effectively a Eastern European um, uh, student rowing team now in, uh, based out of uh, California uh, you know all, all these universities are, are, are wising up to the fact that hey we can't attract the top domestic talent we're going to go find it somewhere else so what's the um I guess, what, what, why do these international athletes want to go over and want to go to college? Why do they want to take that path? Is it just that there's a better opportunity for them once they finish? It's, a, it's the chance for a free education. Is that why they want to go over? That's, that's the predominant reason why they want to um, go to college rather than going pro straight away? Well, I think, uh, well, you can't go pro in rowing, for example, or a lot of sports over there. But the way that um, I, I view it is that 30... You know, and, and you've got to take rankings with a grain of salt, is that 34 of the top 50 universities in the world are American institutions. You know, there's some brilliant universities in the US. And uh, the opportunity to be scholarshiped and not have to pay anything um, to go study at these, you know, remarkably um, esteemed uh, colleges is, uh, is, a, is, is an amazing opportunity. Not to mention that for a lot of these sports, um, or and for a lot of these athletes, or for a lot of these athletes, this is the highest level of competition they could possibly ever achieve. Um, th- there's nothing like uh, college, um, you know, um, the 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 magnitude of um, you know the the events and the, I suppose the publicity um, for for rowing that there is in college rowing. I mean, yes, there's the Oxford Cambridge boat race, but apart from that, you know, this is this is like the the only rowing league in the world, and it's the same with other sports. You know, this is uh, this is big publicity and. The facilities that they have on offer, you know, most professional sporting teams don't have these facilities uh, on offer. So, I think it's just the, I think in many regards, it's maybe a step back in um, development or, or um, elite competition. But they're getting so much more. They're getting education. They're getting a life experience. Um, they're getting travel. Um, you know, there's just so many pluses that uh, you know. Um, I think it's. The downsides don't outweigh the upsides. So what do you think the biggest, um, I guess, argument for putting on an international, or the, a cap on international students would be? Um, the biggest argument to, to do it? Yeah. Well, look, I think this happened when I was over there. It was one of the parents uh, at, at the rowing event. Uh, she picked up on my accent, which is pretty obvious when you, you know, you're immersed in America, uh, is that... You know, one of her, uh, her her child, which was at the event, um, you know, once she said, I said, I'm from Australia, I, I sort of help a Australians come over and, and, and get recruited and things like that. And she's like, oh, you're one of those people. <laughs> and I'm just like, uh, yeah. And she's like, uh, you know, oh, yeah, my child's, um, you know, she's only, uh, she's not on um, any scholarship money at University of Washington. And, uh, you know, I think it's a bit unfair that, you know, um, you know, this is our system, we should have the scholarship money. 
And in some regards, I mean, it depends if you're a private or a public university, uh, you know, whether or not... Do, is there is there a deserved or um, a sense of entitlement that is you know deserved to 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 be present there? You know, do do you you know sh- should you you know have that entitlement to say that hey, this is our system? You know, th- these are our scholarships. I understand the argument. At the end of the day, I think that it comes down to two things. One. Uh, the, the coaches and the athletic directors want to win. So it's about getting the best talent possible. And and two, and I think this is the main one, American talent will be better off if their, if their top-line talent is competing with the best talent possible because it will help bring their, uh, raise their game. You know, it's just, it's just the nature of competition. So uh, I think that – I think maybe, maybe a cap in some regards would be good, not necessarily a, a – a really ridiculous cap, but I think I think there's room to say that you know something reasonable may be fair. You were speaking before about how coaches pretty much all they want to do is win. That's their primary. That, that's that's their goal. They need to win if they want to stay in their position. And one of the arguments against using the college path as a development program is the fact that these coaches need to play certain guys out of position at times, which might not help them in their development and might not get them the best chance to make a professional gig somewhere. But that's the best for the team. So if you look at someone who might be best suited to uh, play the three position in the NBA and might have the potential to play the three in the NBA, but for the sake of their college, they need to play them at the five position. For their development to go through the NBA, that's not the best thing for them. But it's a win-now situation, so they need to play at the five position or at the four position for the benefit of the team. Yeah, I think that I'm trying to think of any other sport which may... Um, have that same situation. I think it might almost be exclusive to basketball. Uh, I can't. Re- it could be. I haven't thought about it enough. But there is certain situations, obviously basketball primarily, where winning takes precedence over what is best for the individual. A lot of, well, not a lot of the time, but in certain situations, like when you're playing certain players out of position, or perhaps like what Kentucky did when they had kind of the two platoon systems last season, where they had a starting five and then the second start and the second five that would come on. Um, straight after each other. So even though these guys weren't getting 40 minutes a game and weren't getting a whole lot of time playing with other guys on their squad, it was best for the team. They were getting 20 minutes. They knew exactly what their role was. That probably wasn't going to be the way that they were going to play in the NBA, but that was going to be what was best for the team. And obviously that made them get to the NCAA tournament and get to the final, obviously losing eventually to Duke. But you can see how that probably wasn't best from a development standpoint, but what was definitely best for the team at the time. Yeah, and at the end of the day, if, if your peak out is, uh, um, you know, at college, um, you know, your level, you don't have pro potential, then you want to you want to go and um, to a, to a program that's aiming to win. Okay, so um, you know, uh, everyone wants to win, and uh, you know, the the path to get there may just be having internationals. And I, I feel that I feel like the NCAA wouldn't want to include anything because. I think there's a really unique opportunity, and and they're they're already well on the way to this, to to actually develop. You know, the, the NCAA system is such a unique beast in that there is 38 NCAA uh, approved sports, men and women combined, and it's kind of like the most, um, you know, mega uh, diverse um, elite sporting league in the world. And there was this great um, article, which I won't delve too far into just here, um, from, from the Atlantic, saying that college, the only thing that, um, college football has nothing to do or has no relevance um, in the, in the ca- same conversation as talking about college because it's basically just professional sport um, 
without being called professional because you know it's still generating tons of money. You basically, got elite athletes and all these sorts of things. So I think the NCAA likes the fact that it's turning itself into a truly international competition yeah. um, with the best athletes from around the best. Yeah, the schools like that as well because their brands are getting seen across the world. They're getting players playing from all around the world playing for their school. They love it. Yeah, the best 18 to 22-year-old athletes around the world in one central location, in one sporting league. That's that's the equivalent of basically – it's the equivalent of World Cup soccer uh, or, or football. Um, I think that was a pretty good action. Football. There. Football. Uh, it's basically the equivalent of World Cup football, uh, <laughs> you know, having um, a, a league through the 18 to 22-year-old age demographic across every single sport in the US at their universities. You know, that's a great product for people to consume if we're talking from a a, a sales perspective of, you know, um, people who w- like to watch, you know, golf or, or tennis or cross country or rowing or volleyball or water polo or fencing or um, whatever NCAA. I said netball before. Netball, there's no collegiate netball, by the way. Yeah, that's that's your Aussie roots showing through there. <laughs> so I think that... It was the, the, the third sport I could think of on the spot. So, so I think that, you know, um, whilst I... I sympathise uh, with, with that plight. I, I do think that uh, it's important to maybe not skew things too much, like some programs have, and and uh, you know, in terms of having basically ninety five percent of their you know first team um, be internationals. Uh, I, I can understand how that would get on people's nerves and and, and ju- be a bit jarring. But um, you know, I'd be open to a, a soft cap of um, you know ten, ten, maybe fifty percent of the team or something like that. I think that's reasonable. Uh, but at the same time, having said that, some universities are restricted financially anyway. I know San Diego State, for example, they only have uh, for some of their one of their sports, uh, they have to have at least I think it's maybe sixty percent of the roster. In, um, from in-state California because uh, in-state tuition is far cheaper than out-of-state. So that they um, they make sure that they have a, a certain number of scholarship athletes from in the state of California because it's cheaper and uh, and then whatever they want to use for those you know remaining 40% out-of-state, they can do. So I think in, in some regards, it's some universities are mandated themselves, but you know I'm open to it. It's an interesting proposition. If you have a theory on what you think would work or if you have, um, I guess, some feedback for us, you can hit us up on uh, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash SCN America or on Twitter at SCN America. Just use the hashtag College Nation SCN. To finish off the show today, Lockie, we've got our winners and losers of the week. Now, last week, we kind of delegated. One of us would do winners. The other one would do losers. This week, we're going to do it a little bit differently. We each have a winner and we each have a loser. Mate, who is your winner of the week? Winner of the week. I think I already touched on him, but um, I think uh, actually maybe I should flip it on the spot, or should I should I stay? I don't know. What do I want to do? No, you, you use the one you had before. Uh, I was going well deserving. I was going to go Leonard Fournette. Uh, Fournette, uh, LSU Tiger, um, absolute beast performance. Two hundred twenty-eight yards, three touchdowns in LSU's win. Um, you know this guy. I mean, you look at you look at a picture of him, and like he actually. Uh, we maybe need to check a birth certificate. The guy looks like he's 30. 
uh, and just you know, um, you know, to, to come into such a storied program such as LSU, um, and you know, obviously they have you know the best talent year on year, um, recruiting wise or you know up there um, as a recruiting class. Uh, Fournette's uh, you know, um, you know, a real um, NFL quality running back, and in the SEC where you know it's all about the the run game. Um, or there's a massive emphasis on the run game as opposed to, say, for instance, a passing game in the Pac-12. Um, you know, I think that uh, you know uh, his achievements on the weekend. I think yeah, breaking the LSU single-game rushing record, um, massive stud. My winner of the week is the Big Ten in total. Number one and number two on the AP top 25. Ohio State taking out the top spot. Michigan State the second spot. At the start of the year, I think most people were thinking SEC would be the most dominant conference. It is not looking that way at the moment. Big Ten just looks to be powering through at the moment. They've also got Northwestern ranked 17 in the country and Wisconsin at 22. So they've got four running out the top 25, but two of the top two, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, I'm not necessarily surprised by that. I mean, uh, I think. I'm surprised by Michigan State. I'll say that. Nah, I wasn't expecting nah. Michigan State to be this good. Yeah, I think. I think. Uh... I mean, there's a lot of the season to play out, but um, you know, Sparty's been um, been been brimming on the edge for a couple of years now, and um, I think that uh, I mean it's well deserved. But uh, loser of the week, this one's easy for me. Who is it? This one's I mean, yeah, Nick Rose from Texas. I mean, when you got a minute, I think it was a minute eleven on the clock, and all you have to do when you when you're down forty five forty uh, forty four forty five. Um, and all you have to do is convert a PAT. Okay, point after touchdown. Just the most simple, uh, straightforward execution, uh, you know, process for a kicker. It should be. I, I remember Charlie. Um, Charlie Strong was uh, on on the sideline. Apparently, uh, the Texas head coach. And he basically he, he wasn't even watching it because he thought that it was just going to happen. They were going to go into <laughs> overtime. And um, and Nick Rose absolutely sh- well, he didn't shank it. He Splayed it. I think he just leant back too far on it and um, and splayed it right um, right of the post, which is inexcusable. And um, you know, yeah, do your job. You wouldn't be feeling too good if you were him, but you also wouldn't be feeling too good if you were Notre Dame's sophomore safety Drew Tranquil, who tore the ACL in his right knee over the weekend, which is ter- terrible news. You never want that to happen to anyone. Do you know how he did it? Well, I have um I actually have experience in this department crystals. <laughs> he exp- he tore his ACL after falling awkwardly on the way down from a chest bump after he was celebrating uh with a teammate. Yes, so my um the reason why I can sympathize with him, uh I was the the victim of a vicious <laughs> um post celebra- oh, a, a post win celebration uh, a few years back where after winning an epic uh uh beer pong showdown on the final cup I uh, jumped up for joy and landed uh, awkwardly on my leg and uh, had my kneecap wrap halfway around my leg, dislocated, um, and, uh, you know, it was a bitter, bitter end. But, see, that's fair enough because you actually won. He wasn't celebrating the win. They hadn't even won yet. He just broke up a a third-down pass in the end zone. So he just stopped uh, Georgia Tech from scoring, which is obviously... It's, it's, I guess, worthy of a celebration, but they didn't win. And to injure yourself in that situation... Mate, you're getting my loser of the week. It's a, it's a good conversation starter, but um, look, I feel sorry for him, and hopefully he'll be back in time for uh, the start of next season. That brings us to the end of the College Nation today. You can find all the SEN America podcasts at SEN.com.au. Make sure you hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash SEN America, and on Twitter at SEN 
America. We'll catch you next week, guys. Thanks for listening to the College Nation podcast. For more SEN America podcasts, head to sen.com.au. To keep up to date with the latest American sports news and interviews from around SEN, follow SEN America on Twitter at SEN America and on Facebook at facebook.com slash SEN America. You're getting ready to go out. You want to get in the mood. There's a playlist for that. You move to the beat. You trip over the dog. You're not dancing anymore. You open the Medibank app and find a physio. We live in an on-demand world. And now your health insurance comes on demand too. Download the new Medibank app today.